That's it. I don't know if you guys are ready for Easter here at Catalyst. We thought we were ready for Easter. We've been working on it a couple weeks. But uh, sometimes you think you're ready and you're not ready. And we're going to have some fun here today. Uh, I want to welcome uh, everybody here to Catalyst, those of you guys in here, those of you guys online. If you're in here, if you would take just a second and find one of these green cards, just put your name on it. We're, it's our connection card. We just want to connect with you guys. There are buckets all over the place. You can drop them in there. Like You're going to not pay attention to half of what I say today anyway, so just write your name down. It's good. Online, you can uh, go to catalystchurch.info and get that uh, information there. We'd love to keep up with you guys too. Um, but if you guys are trying to figure out like I want to invite my friends. Like, I want to introduce people to Jesus, but man, that's weird. I don't know exactly how to do it. We make it real easy here. Just like or share us, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, Catalyst Church NC, and we'll help talk to your family and friends about Jesus for you because we know that's all kinds of weird for most people. Um, but a video really helps take care of that. Um, I love this, this, uh, this video here of Jordan. Like, there are so many times in our life that we thought we were prepared for something, and it wasn't until we got in the middle of it we realized, I, I wasn't ready for that. Like, I, I thought me going to college, I thought my parents raising me, I thought growing up with church, I thought whatever it might have been, and then you get in the middle of something, you realize, yeah, I wasn't ready for that at all. See, Jordan thought that he was ready. He thought that, like, being a police officer, everybody knows what being a police officer is. Whether you love police officers right now or you hate police officers right now in law enforcement, like, they're real people. And, and Jordan, to be able to pull back the curtain and share with you what's going on in his life and what has gone on in his life, like, I, I so appreciate that about you, Jordan. Um, and here's what I can tell you about Jordan in front of everybody. He is a real man with real problems trying to follow a real Jesus, plain and simple. And that's why he fits so well here at Catalyst. If you are real people with real problems trying to follow a real Jesus, we're a place for you. If you want anything besides that, we might not be the place because that's all we got here. We're just being who we are, trying the best that we can to follow Jesus. And sometimes you're going to need a couple of people to walk along with you. Sometimes you can handle it on your own, but often you will find you weren't ready for whatever it is that Satan was trying to throw at you, and we need to get ready for that. Over the next year, you're going to keep seeing these different videos of testimonies like this because we're just, we're such real people. There are stories here everywhere, and everybody's got a story, and we'd like to share your story, whether it's online or whether it's somebody that's here today. Evan's going to be reaching out to different people and say, hey, what is going on in your life? What can you share that just would help maybe somebody else out like Jordan just did? And we'd love for you guys uh, to set aside some time with Evan and be able to, to do that. See, Jordan pulled back the curtain on what it was like to be a police officer. And today's Easter. And I'm going to try to do the same thing with the Easter story. Now, the Easter story, if you grew up in the church, you're crazy familiar with it. If you didn't grow up in the church, you got the highlights of Easter. Like, you grew up here in the United States, you probably, like, you got the highlights of Easter. And, and Easter is sort of like the Super Bowl for ministers, right? Like, we got to have our A game. But you're telling the same story every year to the same people, somehow in a different crazy way. Well done, preacher. Like, like there's some, there's some like, I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say this year. So here's what I want to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the highlights. All of us know about Easter. Then I'm going to pull back the curtain 
on some scriptures that we have read a million times probably. Maybe it's your first time, and I'm going to show you some things that are laying below and maybe in between the scripture that you never noticed before, no matter how many times you've read it. So here we go. All right. Uh, Easter, the high points. Jesus came to earth. He, twelve, he chose 12 messy men to be his disciples. He healed and he taught many. Jesus was beaten. He was finally crucified on a cross on Friday. And three days later, he rose again to beat death for you and me. That's the Easter story, just real quick. We're hitting the highlights. But here's the thing about Scripture that I think we often forget because we so associate it with every other book that we read. These are real people. They had real problems, and they legit were trying to follow the real Jesus. But there's all kinds of emotions. There's all kinds of culture going on there that happened 2,000 years ago in a land far away. Like, if we're telling stories, let's go ahead and tell stories. It was on a different continent. Like, there's no way we understood their culture and their context growing up here in the United States. So I'm going to try to pull some of that back for you. But here's a couple questions as you're reading your Bible that will help you to understand the realness of the people and the situations there. Ask a few questions. One basic one, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, how did they feel when whatever it is I'm reading about happened? How did they feel? What were they thinking? And today, especially in the Easter story, what were the apostles thinking on Saturday after the guy that they'd been following for three and a half years who was supposed to return everything wasn't there? How did they feel? They just spent three and a half years night and day. Like, let some roommates, let some husbands and wives, your kids, get on your nerves because you were around each other a little too long. Night and day for three and a half years. I mean, they rarely separated. So let's slow down and let's see some things that are crucial to the relationships inside the Scripture that I'd be willing to bet if we want to have good relationships here today are crucial for us also. So in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the, Pas now the Passover and festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. So here's a couple of things we got to understand. Like we just roll through that. For uh, Jewish people, they were in the spring festival holidays. There are four spring festivals that they have within 50 days right now. And if you're a good Jewish person, especially the men, men had, were held to like a higher standard, you want to celebrate at least one time in Jerusalem. Like you might be coming from Russia. You might be coming from... Turkey, you might be coming from wherever, but we wanted one day in Jerusalem. We're going to go there and we're going to celebrate. So every year in Jerusalem, still today, the size of Jerusalem at least doubles. It normally will go like four, maybe ten times. And here's the thing also about Jerusalem, because this is weird growing up where we grew up. There's a wall around Jerusalem. Like when you read it in the Bible, you're like, oh, that's cool, there's a wall. And we keep shoving people in, and now there's a boundary all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I can't scoot over anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the wall. Like, there's no room in the streets. When everybody's going there, they call their favorite Aunt Becky. Say, Aunt Becky, can we, we're coming to Jerusalem this year for Passover. You mind if we stay at your house? You, you call your best friend from college. You go see your grandmother, and you hope that maybe they got a basement that you can crash in, like you and your whole family, because everybody's coming. And, or you call your best friend. Like, whatever you got to do, you're looking for a place to stay. You want to stay inside. If you stay outside and you have to walk in, that's fine, but everybody wants to be inside Jerusalem 
for these festivals. And you don't just stay like at Christmas. We're going to go see Grandma. We're going to stay there a few days. No, now you're staying a month. Oh, yeah. What's it like to go back to your parents' house now and stay a month and live under their rules? Like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Exactly. Well, here's where we're living. It's getting real here today in Scripture. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. Now, notice a couple of things that we pick up here that were not in the Old Testament, but most of us don't realize they weren't in the Old Testament. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they weren't in the Old Testament. What happens is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish people are like, we have been slaves everywhere, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of us messing up God's word and forgetting about God and him selling us into slavery. Now we're in slavery, and then we cry out, and we beg God, and then he brings us back, and then we mess up, and we forget about God. And they're like, we're stopping this whole cycle. We're going to train people in the law. We're going to have schools. We're going to set up systems. We're going to put all of this in place so that we don't do that. And the people they trained up were the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So these are the most educated people at this time. And they're scheming to kill Jesus secretly. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. All of them. All 10,000, however many you can fit inside of Jerusalem, every one of them, it is full right now. And while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table uh, in the home of Simon, of Simon the leper, Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem. I guess Jesus, the rock star who had been walking on water, who had been healing people, who had been doing all kinds of stuff, couldn't find a place inside, but we'll keep going. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Now, as we're reading through this, because when, you know, being the good Christians that we are, we read a chapter a day. And I only got a minute and a half, so I got, like, we're rushing through this chapter a day, but I'm going to check my box. I read the Bible today. Well, sometimes you got to slow down a little bit because there are a few things in those scriptures that, like, play such a big part that we miss. First of all, Jesus is the rock star. He can stay with anybody he wants to. He can call up anybody and go stay with them. And he's staying right outside. And he's staying at whose house? Simon the leper. Now, here's something we don't know normally, is Jewish people cannot be around lepers. It makes them unclean. And if you're going to a 50-day party and celebration, you're not allowed to be there if you're unclean. So when you see a leper, you go to the other side of the street. I mean, this, so many times you see this in Scripture, they're like, uh-uh, I'm going to the other side because I want to make sure that I can celebrate with my family. I want to make sure I can do the Passover feast. I want to make sure that I can, uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, everything that's coming, I want to make sure I can participate in all of these so I can't be around the leper. I think Simon Leper is one of those lepers that Jesus healed in the stories that we hear in the New Testament. But, but here's the deal. If he was healed, is he a leper anymore? No. But us religious people, we're so good at forgiving everybody that they remind him, you're Simon the leper. Nobody still wants to be around you. Nobody wants to spend any time with you. If I see you, maybe you're a leper. and Maybe you're not. I'm still standing on the other side of the road. Simon the leper, who is no longer a leper. It's a good religious society to be in. I like that one. And then we also notice that Mary, Mary's there. Now we have Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what the other Gospels tell us is that Mary is a prostitute. 
Well, good Jewish people aren't supposed to be around any prostitutes either. They also make you unclean. The sin against inside of the body is worse than any sin outside of the body is what Scripture tells us. So they're also walking on the other side of the road when all their friends are looking. But sometimes they visit them. But they're not, they don't want everybody to know that they're visiting the prostitutes. They don't want everybody to know that they're hanging out with prostitutes. We've got to keep that on the down low, right? Like, we can't let everybody know that. And then she takes it to the next level. She goes and she takes this oil and she anoints Jesus with this oil. Now, Jesus is a Jewish male above 13 years old, so he's already started to grow his beard out. Jesus, at this point, is what, about 33 years old. He got a good full beard. Like some people grow those good full beards. Like this, this is all I get right here. But some people got good full beards. So when they pour this over them, and the oil that she had there in the alabaster jar was made up of frankincense and myrrh. Sound familiar? They gave it to Jesus at the beginning. It was also there for him at the end. And, and you pour it over him, and it just goes through your beard. And it just sits there. And it's so fragrant, you're just reminded that you were set aside to be by God, and the smell just reminds you every time you take a breath, and she just anointed, a prostitute anointed Jesus. That's unheard of. Nobody allows that to happen. So some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste the perfume? Now think about this. They're in Jerusalem. They're there to party. You're going to take me to whose house? Simon the leper? So, so am I unclean? Or can, I, can I celebrate the Passover? Can I not? Can I celebrate all these other, can I go to those things? Can I not go to those things? Like Jesus is putting them in a bad position. And then he's allowing the prostitute to come in and then anointing them. Like the stress just keeps ratcheting up over and over. But when we read the story real quick in one sitting, we miss all of the tension that's in the room and in the house right now. These guys are upset. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Like, they don't, they don't put stuff in the scripture that, like, is unneeded. I'm wondering what this looked like. Like, were they snatching her up and taking her out of the house? Was like, woman, I told you, you better, like, I'm guessing they didn't do that. Like, guys, don't be, mm -mm, don't move right now. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. So verse 6, it says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And they're like, What? She's a prostitute. Like, we all, this is Lazarus's sister. We all know. What are you talking about? The poor will always, uh, you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I love that statement. She did what she could. How many times you're like, you just stopped doing what you could do? Some of us just need to get back to, I'm, I'm just doing what I can today. That's all I'm doing. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my body for burial. Like he just, he just sort of drops that and moves on. Uh, prepare my body for, are you going somewhere? Like, I, who, who said, like we're here, to, we're here to party. 50 days of partying and celebrating. Like what, what do you mean you're going somewhere? And then also we know, it makes sense. We see this in the New Testament with Lazarus and stuff, though, too. Like, um, do you anoint a body for burial before or after they're dead? <laughs> after. Like, you just run around with some of your friends, like, we're going into a bad neighborhood. We're going to do this just in case. 
Like, you know, that's a rough place over there in Jerusalem. Like, we're in the wrong place. I want to make sure everybody's ready just in case. Like, I got to be ready for my death. Like, no, it's afterwards. But she's already anointed his body. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to portray Jesus to them. And this is where all of us are just like, Judas, we just... But here's what we don't realize. Judas, notice he's got a last name. Notice none of the rest of the guys have a last name. It's always the father of or the son of. Jesus was the carpenter's son. They didn't have last names like we had last names. It was what your father did or where you were from. Judas was from Ishkariot, which meant he was a zealot. He was a political activist is what he was. And he was a good political activist for the Jewish people because they were all looking for the military Messiah, King David, to come and raise them back up. They're not slaves anymore. When he shows up, we're taking over, folks. Judas believed so passionately that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was going to force Jesus' hand. He was like, if he won't step up and be the military Messiah that all of us know that he is, I'm going to make him. I'm going to tell the Romans. And that's what he goes and does. He believes in Jesus. I believe that Judas believes in Jesus more than Jesus believed in Jesus in his own mind. He wasn't here just trying to sell out a friend. He was trying to hear to make him move forward a little bit. And they were all delighted to hear and promised to give him money. So they watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city that is packed full of people. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon, sorry. Like, it is packed full of people. And go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Well, isn't that nice? That should be really easy. Just, ooh, we're over here. Like, are you coming to meet me? I don't know. Here's one of those other things that's going on here. And there are so many things that are going on, like, below the surface right here in their culture that, like, we just don't get. Men don't carry water. Don't carry water. But they're... There was a group of people that lived in Jerusalem, and it was all men living together, so one of them had to carry water. And they were a religious sect who said, we're pulling away from regular life. We're all going to be celibate. We're living without wives so that we can concentrate on the scripture. They ended up being known as the Essenes, who went out and lived by themselves. This is where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. But they were living in a place in, in Jerusalem at that point. But men didn't carry water, so when they went in and saw one dude carrying water, that's my man, I found him. Follow him, Jesus said. Say to the owners of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs. Now, this is not large how we think of large. This is a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us. And the disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, let me pause here for just a second. I want to like the, the, da Vinci, uh, the Da Vinci picture that we have of all the apostles. 
like all of us, that's our go-to, like the Last Supper, that's what they looked like. Well, first of all, were they all like, hey, everybody on this side table, mom's going to take a picture. <laughs> like, no, no, like they didn't. They weren't all on one side of the table. Second of all, they didn't sit in chairs. It says they were reclining at the table. Why were they reclining? That's what they always did. They always sat down. They always leaned against uh, pillows. Here, here's something else that you don't know that you might want to forget after today. We can tell by looking at uh, what's going on in Scripture, where everybody is at the table, who's sitting at the highest, most important seat, who's sitting at the most uh, unimportant seat, because we know how every single person there is laying around the table. Why do we know that? Because they didn't have toilet paper. Why do we shake hands with our right hands? Because this one is used for something else. It's legit. That was culture. So everyone would be laying on their left side, eating and passing things with their right hand. Like there's so much going on here that we just don't know. And he said, and one of you will betray me, and it's one who is eating with me. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> um, I, I bet it's Judas. I, that dude always, I bet it was Peter. James and John always wanting to sit on Jesus' right and left hand. They think they're better than us. Like, these guys just spent three and a half years together. If there were any relational issues, this just threw gas on a fire. Because everybody's now thinking, oh, I think I know who it is. Oh, I, I He's always carrying the money. He's always the one causing trouble. He's always the one wanting to get into fights. Loudmouth Peter can't shut his mouth for a second, always getting us in trouble. Imagine the tension that happens in this room right after Jesus says, one of you will betray me, and we're sitting around this table. Oh, the tension, the, the relationships in that room just were crazy. So what do we learn reading these scriptures? What do we learn from, about Jesus from reading these scriptures. First of all, one of the things that I learned is Jesus chose imperfect people to lead the church. Amen. Like, if you come and been a catalyst very long, you get that already. That's not anything new to you. But Jesus hung out with people who were shunned by most of the religious community. Oh, Simon the leper, that's my boy. Who else do we need? Come on, Mary. Come on, girl. We're going to go hang out. Nobody else is doing that at that point. And Jesus is like, these are my people. Jesus still changed all of their lives, obviously through what he taught them, but being in relationship, working things out, explaining things. He's at Simon's mother-in-law's house, and it's like she's going crazy after he healed her, and, and they're walking along, and after James and John are like, can we beat on your right and left hand when we get into heaven? He's like, oh, just missing it. And everybody's upset at them, and he's got to repair these relationships. Jesus modeled for us, not, not just taught us, but modeled for us that relationships are important and, and we need to learn from that today if we want to have good relationships in here. What were the apostles thinking? What were the apostles thinking? The, the military Messiah they had been waiting on was just crucified and put into a tomb. And everybody knew they were the ones with them because their redneck accent was so thick. When it, when it talks about Peter, she said, you've got to be one. You've got to be one of the apostles because listen to your accent. It gives you away. So everybody knew. Oh, those are the guys that hung out with Jesus. Did they feel stupid everywhere they walked? Did they feel foolish? Like, I gave my life to what? I was sure he was the guy. I knew there were other guys beforehand who said they were the guy, but I was sure he was the guy. 
Did you know that 200 years before Jesus, the Jewish people were so tired of being sent into exile, being slaves here and there and being, being broken up. They're like, we're one people group. We're one body, and we want to act like one body. We want to be one people group. So what they did is they got together, and they put together what we would call a Bible reading plan. Now, remember, they only had the Old Testament. That's what they carried around. As a joke, they didn't carry anything around. They had scrolls. But anyways, but... So they put together a reading plan so that when they would go to the synagogue, which was three times a day, oh, go to church twice a week, you got to be kidding me, three times a day they went, and they heard the same thing. It wasn't like rotating preachers. Somebody would get up, they would read the scripture, they would leave. The men would stay after and they would discuss, and then they would take home to their families, and they were in charge of making sure their families were discussing whatever scripture they were talking about that week. So this week, the whole time that Jesus is going around, that the apostles are, are trying to figure out, what do I do now? What do I do now that this guy I committed my life to, I dropped everything, I walked away from my family, what do I do now? What if I told you I could tell you exactly the scriptures they were reading all week long? Three times a day in the synagogue they heard it. They had to have been talking about it around dinner. They had to have been talking about it as they were walking in and out of the old city. They had to have been talking about it in Bethany. They had to have been talking everywhere. There's one scripture in the Old Testament, one chapter in the Old Testament that they were reading that was written thousands of years before them that nobody had any idea about. One chapter that, that would give them hope the entire time that they... Their Messiah was dead. He was laying in a grave. What do I do now? Did I build it up enough? Are you ready to find out what chapter this is? So today some of you feel like it's Easter, so I'm here. But on the inside, like, I'm messed up. I'm all dried out. Like, I feel foolish being here. I feel worthless. I feel like if they knew what was going on inside of me, they wouldn't want to be around me. God changed hearts that Saturday, over 2,000 years ago. He changed hearts thousands of years before that. And the same God that changed those hearts back then is still in the business of changing hearts and minds today. We think, because we think so much and we reason so much that the impossible has stopped, that God doesn't do the impossible anymore, but God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is still in the business of doing the impossible. And as these guys were going to the synagogue, and they were back in the upper room after Jesus had died, and they're like, what do we do now? The scripture that they were reading over and over again was Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in a valley, and it was full of dry bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones were very dry. And he asked me, Son of God, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, you hear the word of the Lord. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. You will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to them, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And he breathed, and the breath entered them, and they gave the life, and they stood up on their feet. A vast army. He did for Jesus what he did thousands of years ago in the valley that he wants to do for you today. Do you want that from him today?
Continue singing this morning. We invite you just to sing with us.